Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in. This is Madam Butterfly, and I'm back with part two of um, the Big Six. We'll be finishing out our, um, or not our, but we'll be finishing off the presentation that I started yesterday. Um, and we're going to get to the last 30 minutes of it, I'm thinking. 30, 35 minutes of it. Um, and go from there. Um, today is the last day of August. Uh, tomorrow starts the first day of September, aka my birthday month. <laughs> go Virgos. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I plan on having my next video be the nine developmental stages, or actually over the nine developmental stages of, um, of, um, what do you call it? Got a brain fart of the ego. Yeah, the nine developmental stages of the ego. Uh, very interested in going over that. Sounds like it's going to be some great information. Definitely stay tuned. But I'm going to go ahead and get get into the rest of this presentation. Brought to us by Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Dr. Don Elise Snips. Um, and yeah, we are currently on um, serotonin. And she's going to go from there. High sugar, high carb foods tends to release serotonin and dopamine. See how these things are so hard to ferret out, especially since, since we can't really experiment on the human brain. Anyhow, carb cravings are common in people who have, or we believe, um, in people who have low serotonin and constipation. Serotonin keeps everything moving. If somebody is has hypothyroid. Uh, low or low serotonin, they could have constipation caused by either one of those, among other things. Nutritional building blocks are foods rich and tryptophan. The body cannot make tryptophan, so you have to get tryptophan from what you eat. Um, whole wheat, potatoes, brown rice, lentils, oats, and beans. I feel like a broken record when I read this. So hopefully your clients are willing to look at something in here. And if they don't like these options, um, you know, obviously they're working with their, their nutritionist. They can go online and Google um, world's, I believe it's world's healthiest foods and find out which foods are high in tryptophan and find something that suits their fancy a little bit better. I just listed the top ones. Medications and supplements that increase serotonin. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Obviously, we know that's the first line for a lot of people when they're depressed. Doctors give them SSRIs, your Paxil, Prozac, Zoloft, um, Lexapro, yada, yada. Selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors also make the serotonin more available. They prevent the reuptake of serotonin as well as norepinephrine. 5-HTP increases serotonin. SAMe, St. John's wort. The last three, 5-HTP, SAMe, and St. John's wort, people can buy over the counter, which can be really scary um, because they can accidentally get too much. And atypical antipsychotics have been used in people for whom the first line, the SSRIs and SNRIs, didn't work. So some of the serotonin receptors are responsible for sleep regulation, 
feeding, thermoregulation, so if people are getting cold a lot or too hot, hyperactivity, hypoactivity, locomotion, muscle tone, learning, peripheral vasoconstriction, stomach contraction, nausea and vomiting, and gastrointestinal motility. And you're like, okay, why do I care? Because, oops, where did it go? When we, I'm going to jump around a little. When somebody has serotonin syndrome, there are three things that we're going to look for. And it's the ac acronym or mnemonic CAN. Cognitive changes, including agitation, confusion, euphoria, insomnia, hypomania, and hallucinations. A stands for autonomic changes, including racing heart, fever, arrhythmias, which is an irregular heartbeat, sweating, and dilated pupils. And N stands for neuromuscular changes, including tremor, rigidity, incoordination, and seizures. If you see this, it's a medical emergency. They're, they're just don't even think about, well, is it dopamine? Is it um, serotonin? Is it alcohol? What's going on? If you see these, it, it's likely that there's a problem and they need to be evaluated by a medical professional ASAP. Um, so how do we increase serotonin? Because this is another thing that trips people up. They think the only way you can do it is by taking a psychotropic drug. You can increase serotonin synthesis, like taking L-tryptophan through supplementation. So you can get pure L-tryptophan and you can ingest it. The likelihood of causing serotonin syndrome from supplements, um, from amino acid supplements, is really pretty low, but it's not something I'd want to play with. Reduction in serotonin breakdown. So instead of increasing the serotonin available, we just keep what's there from being broken down. Your MAOIs do that. Um, we can increase serotonin release. Things that cause that include your amphetamines, ADHD medications, MDMA, anorectics, any of your appetite suppressants, weight loss drugs like dexedrine, anti-migraine medications, and this is a big one, such as tryptans. Um, Anti-migraine medications prevent the serotonin or increase the release of serotonin. And if somebody is also taking a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, then they're giving themselves a double whammy. Um, so they need to make sure that they're aware and their doctor's aware if they're on an SSRI and prescribed anti-migraine medication. We can also stimulate postsynaptic receptors. Buspirone does this. So it increases dopamine and it can increase serotonin. Lithium um, and pain medications. So again, you wouldn't have thought opiates increase serotonin, but they do. So it's important and Tylenol with codeine, fentanyl, um, hydrocodone, oxycodone, and tramadol are some of your more common pain medications. If you have a client who goes in for surgery, even oral surgery, outpatient surgery, and they're taking an SSRI or they're taking um, 5-HTP as a supplement, make sure they know that the pain medications that they may be prescribed could also increase serotonin and what to look for in terms of serotonin syndrome. And serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the last one, we have it, we keep it from being broken down, and then we keep it in a synapse longer. Um, your typical SSRIs, Ultram is also a it's a painkiller as well as an SSRI, um, so that can be a double whammy. Trazodone is a serotonin agonist. 
and reuptake inhibitor. Um, so it increases serotonin and it prevents reuptake, which makes it more available. Your tricyclic antidepressants, your serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and bupropion, which is Welbutrin or Zyban, um, is also a norepinephrine dopamine reuptake inhibitor. All of these can increase serotonin as well as norepinephrine and dopamine for the, for the last one. Other drugs that act to raise serotonin, illicit drugs, including LSD, ecstasy, cocaine, and amphetamines, um, herbal supplements, St. John's wort, ginseng, nutmeg, are added to the list of 5-HTP and SAMI. Um, Over-the-counter cough and cold medications containing dextromethorphan, Delsum, Mucinex DM, and others. Um, some of the youth today are using um, dextromethorphan rectally in order to get high off of it. Um, and what? so knowing that they can actually cause serotonin syndrome by overdosing on dextromethorphan, there's a really fine line between getting high and causing yourself to go into serotonin syndrome. Uh, worth being aware of. Anti-nausea medications such as uh, metoclopramide, which is Reglan. Um, I'm not going to, and Zofran. I can read that one. Uh, so again, you see Reglan, which we talked about under dopamine, also may increase serotonin. So it's important to be aware that if somebody is on an SSRI or, you know, a, a dopamine agonist, uh, it's important that they also be aware that Reglan is possibly contraindicated. Um, Zovox is an antibiotic. Who knew an antibiotic could increase dopamine, or not dopamine, but serotonin? Uh, it's not one that I've ever seen prescribed, but obviously it is. And Norvir, which is an antiretroviral medication used to treat HIV and AIDS, and I have seen this one prescribed a lot. Doctors need to be aware Clients need to be aware because not all doctors are aware of all of these things that increase serotonin. Um, and unfortunately, right now, the studies still show that only about 60% of doctors are really aware of serotonin syndrome and think to look for it. Serotonin does change with age. It goes down when estrogen or testosterone go down. So, uh, you know, guys, you don't get a, get a pass on this one. Melatonin, however, doesn't seem to decline as we age unless serotonin declines significantly. So generally, the amount of serotonin we need to make enough melatonin to sleep through the night, even as serotonin goes down, it doesn't go down enough to affect our melatonin production. Some people find that melatonin supplementation does help them sleep. That's something to consider with their doctor. There are new studies out, as an aside, that um, long-term taking of benzodiazepines, not benzodiazepines, of um, sleep aids. What am I thinking of? Um, like Benadryl, antihistamines, um, can increase risk of dementia. So people are advised not to use sleep aids for long periods of time, and they need to talk with their doctor about other options and you know, try to figure out why they're having difficulty sleeping. Acetylcholine. See, I told you we would whip through these things. And the mechanism of action. In lower amounts, acetylcholine can act like a stimulant by releasing norepinephrine and dopamine. 
it also enhances me memory, motivation, higher order thought processes, sexual desire and activity, and sleep. One of the things, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. If there's too much acetylcholine, the person may have all the symptoms of depression, nightmares, mental fatigue, and anxiety. There's an inverse relationship between serotonin and acetylcholine. So as serotonin goes down, acetylcholine goes up. So if somebody doesn't have enough serotonin, then they might start experiencing depression, nightmares, mental fatigue, and anxiety. If they take an SSRI, increases their serotonin, theoretically their acetylcholine is going to go down. So then they'll start feeling better. Whether it works that way for your particular client is really going to depend on which neurochemicals are out of balance for them. Too little uh, acetylcholine leads to symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia, Parkinson's, impaired cognition, attention, and arousal. So this is another one of our sort of, it's not, they call it a modulating neuro, uh, neurochemical. It's not necessarily excitatory but it's not necessarily inhibitory. But we do see when there's not enough acetylcholine that people start experiencing you know, tremors, cog cognitive problems, and difficulty with attention. Nutritional building blocks, foods high in choline, that's easy to remember, meats, dairy, poultry, chocolate, peanut butter, wheat germ, Brussels sprouts, and broccoli. Now, I don't know about you, I've never developed a taste for Brussels sprouts, but broccoli, I can work in. Um, wheat germ is pretty easy to, to get most people to consider. Uh, chocolate, poultry, and dairy. There's also a lot of acetylcholine in eggs. So the medications, cholinerg cholinergic medications, are used for glaucoma, bladder control, and severe muscle weakness. So. We see this sometimes in, especially more so in older adults than in younger adults. So they may be on medications that increase their acetylcholine. So we go back here to symptoms of excess. If they start having anxiety, mental fatigue, depression, or nightmares, um, that may be a side effect to the medication, and they need to talk with their doctor. Anticholinergics, cholinergics, sorry, uh, may worsen gastro esophageal reflux disease. So if they're um, taking it and their um, acetylcholine is reduced, they may have more reflux problems. These medications, anticholinergics, are used for extrapyramidal symptoms with schizophrenia, such as muscle spasms, a feeling of motor restlessness, tension, nervousness, or anxiety, drug-induced Parkinsonianism, trembling, shaking, loss of muscle control, and tardive dyskinesia, which is the involuntary muscle movements in the lower face and extreme, uh, distal extremities. So if people are having side effects uh, from some of their, and it's generally your, your uh, antipsychotic medications, then, well, obviously with schizophrenia, then acetylcholine, uh, uh, maybe they may be getting too much acetylcholine, so the doctor may prescribe medication to reduce that too. Now, depending on the person, you know, they may not be able to come off whatever antipsychotic they're on, so we have to medicate the side effects. That is probably going to produce some side effects, which is how people end up on like seven different medications. Medications that are anticholinergic, atropine, 
benzatropine. And I, I have the um, brand names over here, so you may have seen them on, on client charts. Um, chlorpheniramine, which is uh, chlortrimeton. Demenhydrinate, which is dramamine, it, you know, seasick medication. Diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl, Sominex, all your sleep aids. Hydroxazine, bupropion, and dextromethorphan are all anticholinergic in their own way. So again, they're taking a prescription drug for, for something, um, for, for a neurotransmitter, and they start taking any of these over-the-counter ones or prescribed drugs. Um, it's important that they're aware of the interaction because people um, will not think twice about taking a Benadryl if their allergies are acting up or taking Dramamine if they're getting ready to go on a flight and they can have really unexpected side effects from that. Dextromethorphan, you know, I haven't seen any reports that have indicated that when taken as prescribed, you know, if you've got a cold, that it interacts negatively with any of the SSRIs or anything to um, produce problems. But knowing that it is a common drug of abuse right now, you know, that's when you start getting into problems when people are taking double and triple and quintuple the amount of, of medication that they're supposed to take. Anticholinergic drugs are used to treat a variety of conditions, including gastrointestinal disorders, which, you know, think about your clients, what they have, genitourinary disorders, respiratory disorders, such as chronic bronchitis and COPD, something else we see in older adults especially, and possibly insomnia, usually on, only on a short-term basis. So going back to these drugs, thinking about what may be going on, diphenhydramine, not uncommon for insomnia on a short-term basis. So there are a variety of different neurotransmitters involved in addiction and mental health disorders. It's not always about increasing a neurotransmitter. Sometimes you need to decrease it. The human brain tries to maintain homeostasis and too much or too little can be bad. If you think about it, I mean, let's go back to acetylcholine for a second. If I can get there. Um, how many of the neurotransmitters did we talk about today that either an insufficiency or an excess impairs cognition, attention, and arousal. Pretty much every single one of them. Uh, so the cause of your client's depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms, uh, we're really good at, you know, theoretically at helping them figure out the cognitive distortions that may be contributing to turning on their threat response system or maintaining their depression. But as far as what neurochemicals might be out of whack, especially for somebody who appears to have long-standing, organically involved depression, it's not situational, but they've had depression since they were, you know, in grade school. Well, then we want to look at what might be, where might a problem be in the plumbing, so to speak? Where might not enough of a particular neurotransmitter be getting through? This is something that a really awesome psychiatrist is going to help them kind of sort through. But one of the things I do with my clients is I have a check sheet of the different symptoms that they're experiencing. 
um, and I encourage them to keep track of their symptoms on a daily basis, if they're, especially if they're um, working with a doctor trying to get on a good medication regime for them. Identify, you know, when they start taking this medication, if there are side effects, if it starts helping them feel better, um, and anything that they want to talk with the doctor about so they can figure out if they put them on a, a SNRI, a selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. If they put them on that, and that just makes them feel anxious as all get out, then they may try an SSRI um, or, or something else. But it's sort of the whittling down, which is, you know, some of our clients we see with um, treatment-resistant depression, as they call it, the doctors often wait until, you know, they've tried three or four or seven other things before they start looking at Seroquel and some of your atypical antipsychotics. And I can understand why. I mean, Seroquel is extremely sedating and um, does have some side effects. However, you know, for some people, it may be a matter of getting the dopamine system back online. So encouraging clients not to give up to recognize that unfortunately, and I had this question come up when I taught this class before, there is no way to measure neurotransmitters in your brain while you are alive. So people who advertise that you can measure your neurotransmitters through your blood or your urine or whatever, yes, you can. But what you're measuring is free circulating neurotransmitters. Remember I said 80% of your your um, serotonin's in your gut. Well, that doesn't do your mood any good. Well, except for when your belly doesn't hurt. But um, that number is really irrelevant to helping doctors figure out which neurotransmitters might be precipitating mood symptoms. Um, so it's a waste of money. I mean, people can do it if they want, you know, no harm, no foul. You also have the possibility of a placebo effect. But in reality, there is no way that we have right now, at least that I'm aware of, to measure the actual levels of the neurotransmitters specifically in the brain. Uh, so um, encouraging clients, and I do, use a much less technical presentation when I, when I go through it with, with clients and I do the mind-body connection, but helping clients see how important it is to eat decently. You know, pizza's fine, you know, couple of times a week, even if that's what you want, but you need to get some of that brown rice and vegetables and, and other things. When we start thinking about some of our clients who are going on the trendy nutritional plans, um, where they're cutting out all grains, you know, no rice, no wheat, no oats, no nothing. Um, and they're just eating meat and vegetables. What impact is that having on the availability of neurotransmitters. Since most of these neurotransmitters can be formed from building blocks that are found in green leafy vegetables or um, your grains, as long as they're getting a fair amount of green leafy vegetables, they're probably going to be okay. But, you know, again, once you start monkeying with cutting out entire food groups, it can cause unexpected side effects. Uh, so making sure that clients are, are aware of that, not saying not to do it, they're gonna do whatever they wanna do, um, but encouraging them to talk it over with their doctor and, an or, and or a nutritionist. And I always say 
a nutritionist, but most of them, well, I haven't yet had a client that has actually gone to see one um, because they kind of roll their eyes and they go, well, that's not covered by insurance. And Well, uh, so at least talk about it with your doctor before you start monkeying with things just to make sure that you're not going to make anything worse. Human brains try to maintain homeostasis. Too much or too little can be bad. And a balanced diet will provide the brain the necessary nutrients in synergistic combinations. And that's something I didn't talk about earlier. Taking a pill is not a substitute for eating, you know, nutritionally balanced foods. Because those amino acids, for example, are in a very spe specific ratio in terms of what's absorbable. I will give you an example. We think of turkey and Thanksgiving, and we think, well, turkey's high in tryptophan, so when I eat turkey, I get sleepy, and it's, it's because of the tryptophan in the turkey. Research has actually shown that that's not true. Research has shown that, yes, turkey does have a high amount of tryptophan, but it also has a high amount of other amino acids that are preferred by your body, so you don't get very much actual tryptophan synthesized when you eat turkey. So they hypothesize that it's actually the sugar crash from the sweet potatoes and everybody, everything else, as opposed to turkey. Chicken is actually higher in available tryptophan than turkey is. So these little things that, you know, people don't, don't take into consideration necessarily. And they can get obsessive about it, trying to figure out, you know, micronutrients and proteins and amino acids and everything. So I'm going to go about another five minutes and we will be wrapping this up. Thank you so much for listening. If you've decided to hang with me this long. Um, yeah, this is a pretty good presentation. It may something that you can catch for free if you'd like on YouTube, whenever you feel like it. I personally recommend this presentation because it's a great, a great place to start if you're looking to do better with your health. Down to the nth degree. And it's really, talking to a dietitian friend of mine, is it's really not that necessary. If you eat three colors on your plate at every meal, you know, you can have fruit at breakfast because most of us don't want to eat Brussels sprouts at breakfast. Um, and, and you eat enough calories and you eat quality foods um, you know, pizza has a lot of colors, but that doesn't count as, you know, a well-rounded meal for every single meal, um, then you're probably going to get adequate nutrition. Are there questions? And I will look up that question about uh, Wellbutrin as a dopamine agonist. I just don't know the answer to that. There is another book. Let me see. Um, see if I have it linked. If I don't, I will put it in the additional resources course or section of your course. Um, that goes over all the neurotransmitters. So if you like reading that kind of stuff, it's a really awesome book. It's free. It's online. Um, 
Let's see what we have here. Okay, one of the slides at the end suggested it. Hey, cool. Um, that's not it. So let's go back here. Yes, thank you, Carl. Um, Neuropsychopharmacology, the fifth generation of progress. Editors Kenneth L. Davis at all. Um, this link will take you directly to it. Whoops. And uh, I love it. It is written in, you know, journalese, so it's not something that you want to plan on sitting down and reading 100 pages at a time um, because you'll probably go, go cross-eyed. But it is a fascinating read, and it does kind of break down each individual neurotransmitter to help you get an idea about, you know, what it does. So, And then some of the ar other articles I just found very interesting um, in terms of increasing 
our understanding and increasing our clients' understanding of neurotransmitters. I did like this study, and it's you know only tangentially related to the neurotransmitters about whether diet soda causes depression, um, because it really does talk about the difference between causation and correlation. You know, there is there a correlation between um, depressive symptoms and low serotonin? Yes. Do we know whether low low serotonin causes depression? No, not necessarily. Um, so we need to be cognizant of what other things might be causing these symptoms. And we talked a lot today about neurochemical imbalances, but there are a ton of physical things like just even hypo or hyperthyroid or imbalances in sex hormones that can cause fatigue, difficulty concentrating, low libido, apathy, you know, so, you know, we don't want to assume necessarily. Alrighty, if there are no other questions, then I will look up that one thing and I will put that in your additional resources of your class in the next you know, hour. And everybody have an amazing weekend. All right, so that wraps it up. Um... This, in my opinion, is a really incredible um, presentation, and um, I enjoyed the entire thing. Um, hopefully you did too. Thanks so much for tuning in, and on the next time, we'll be going over the nine developmental stages of, of the ego, talking about consciousness, compulsion, uh, self-awareness, and things of that nature. Uh, it should be exciting. I'm excited. But thank you so much. Madam Butterfly out.